0: And we're back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 189, uh, AKA season three, episode nine, as always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich and, uh, MC still gone for one more week. So hopefully we'll have him back next week. Uh, but you know what that means, uh, with MC gone, I get bored doing this. So one more episode of Richie Rich reads the news. Um, but before I get into that, I just have to say really quick, uh, I hate the DMV, I hate the DMV, I hate those people that work at the DMV. Um, That's it, you you can understand why and I don't really want to get into it because I don't want to rehash it uh, again, but there you go. So Richie Rich reads the news, Uh, headlines, three steps to get the government out of your life, headline, uh, it's okay not to vote, Uh, headline, let daylight savings time die already, uh, funny story about that, real quick, just because I'm gonna get into it. However, um, I'm recording this show right after uh, we all fell back from daylight savings time, um, and and you know it's gonna it's gonna suck the next time we change the clocks, uh, but this particular time it was kind of funny uh, because I I posted on Facebook, of course, um, that apparently I'm a daylight savings time convert uh, because well I I overslept and still woke up on time, so that was fun. Uh, Quick little anecdote, moving on, headline, uh, China permits limited trade of rhino and tiger goods, headline, a cryptocurrency millionaire wants to build a utopia in Nevada, Uh, headline, why bad economics makes such good politics, Uh, headline, tearing down social platforms like Gab won't stop the violence, and finally, headline, political violence, blame, and the media. All right, getting into it. Three steps to get the government out of your life. Uh, this is a follow-up from an article that, that I didn't think I was going to get to um, last week. There was a the a prequel, I guess, article to this um, from the Daily Bell, uh, which is quickly becoming another another prime source of show prep. Uh, a lot, I, I feel like more the last couple weeks and even before that, a lot more uh, articles are being well written enough to for me to read on this show. So kudos to them for kicking it up a notch, I guess. Uh, Three steps to get the government out of your life, a follow-up from the article we read on the show last week. Uh, Believe it or not, the best way to get the stalker out of your life is to ignore them. Uh, You don't give them any recognition and you don't react to their threats. That was the topic of yesterday's article, if we ignore government, will it go away? And yesterday, uh, for the the writer uh, last week for the show, of course, I wasn't suggesting ignoring IRS notices that would clearly land you in prison. I was talking about a more long-term strategy, something along the lines of doing business outside of U.S. dollars, whether that be cryptocurrency or gold, or even using services like Uber that buck occupational licensing or moving, which throws your support behind better regional governments. Let me explain how we can start doing this in three steps. Step one, stop taking the bait. Terrorist attacks are a classic example of government stalker-like behavior. I'm not saying that all terrorist attacks are false flags, but there is no denying that they present an opportunity for the government to say, you need me. On average, 166 American civilians are killed by terrorists each each year, worldwide. This includes the numbers from September 11, 2001. Uh, Without including 9-11, the average drops to 34 Americans killed per year in terrorist attacks. Every death is a tragedy but 30 times that many people are killed by on-duty police officers each year in the USA, and 1,000 times as many Americans are killed in car accidents. And yet fear of terrorism convinces us to hand over more than $16 billion every year, not including the trillions spent on the wars in the Middle East. Using the conservative $16 billion figure, that comes to about $96 million spent per victim of terrorism, including victims on 9-11. Human lives cannot be reduced to a cash value, although the FDA says each human life is just worth $7.9 million. But there is no evidence that this spending actually saved lives. For all the budget increases, the number of yearly terrorist victims before 9-11 was about the same as the current year tally. Uh, And the government uses this money to harass us with intrusive surveillance and unconstitutional privacy violations. Elections are another stalker government tactic. If my opponent gets elected... We'll get nuked. Uh, that was LBJ's message before sending tens of thousands of men off to die in Vietnam under his watch. We feel like we must engage in elections because we fear the consequences of disengaging. Uh, but we've empowered the government by falling for these tactics, and it has cost us lives and freedom. The government, is a masterful at sho- the government is masterful at shoving events in our faces, looking for a reaction. Somehow, that reaction always seems to hand the government more power and more of our money. Okay, this isn't something you can stop on your own, but what you can do is stop feeling the stress from it. Stop allowing the government's fear tactics to take up your valuable time and energy. That way you can focus on the following strategies. Step two, ignore what you can. Uh, When you get pulled over, calling the cop a fascist pig is only going to escalate the situation. As unjust as forced interaction with the governments are, staying calm and civil will get you out of the situation fastest and safest. Yes, pay the IRS racketeering their protection money, but don't pay a cent more than you have to. Use every trick in the book to legally reduce your tax bill. It doesn't make sense to call for violence against government officials. This only confirms to them that they need bigger budgets and more oppressive power to fight domestic terrorism. Uh, That's like responding to a stalker by screaming at them or sending someone to threaten them. As we discussed yesterday, last week, uh, that only emboldens their behavior. But you can take comfort in using encrypted messaging services like Telegram and WhatsApp. You can rob the NSA of your search history by using DuckDuckGo instead of Google. You can use the Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. Never talk to the police and always consult the lawyer. And of course, don't call the police like a schoolyard tattletale. Uh, Remember, there is a special place in hell reserved for people who rat out their neighbors or even their enemies to the government for victimless crimes. And again, with the elections and two-party shouting match, it's probably better to just not engage. When you do want to discuss politics, it's more fun to avoid the buzzwords. So, if you can get your point across without triggering a knee-jerk reaction from someone to identify you as a political foe, uh, if I can find, I find that I can find libertarian common ground with almost everyone, as long as I never mention the word libertarian. Uh, there's are so many other things you can ignore for the, from the government without repercussions and yours, add yours in the comments, eh, whatever, call the show. Step three, take defensive action. Whenever you can use alternatives to government services, uh, Gavin Becker, author of the, uh, book, the gift of fear that I mentioned yesterday, last week, uh, actually owns a security company. They specialize in private security for celebrities and other high profile people they even advise and train certain government agencies and personnel. And they have developed tools like the Mosaic Threat Assessment System to help law enforcement, private security, and individuals deal with stalkers and other threats. What I found interesting is that the experts in the field of security and policing are not government agencies. Uh, the tools, the innovation, and the expertise still comes from the private sector. My taxes already pay for the police, FBI, and so on, so it's hard to afford a service like the Becker's. But imagine if I kept my tax dollars and instead purchased crime insurance. I might never need it, but if I did end up with a stalker or a threat, the insurance would pay for the private expert security and investigation like the Becker's company provides. It would be so much more effective and most certainly less expensive than the current police state. Uh, Definitely better value seeing as currently only 46% of violent crimes and fewer than one out of five property crimes are cleared by the police. Uh, By the way, cleared means that they made an arrest or filed a report. It doesn't mean that anyone was convicted or that the victim was compensated. And there are actually organizations already working on tools for private law. Uh, ULEX is an open source technology that uh, that governs private legal systems. Uh, Click the link. Uh, There will further empower small governments and startup societies to offer better government to anyone who wants to move to their jurisdiction. Although cryptocurrencies are in their infancy... These will likely become a powerful tool to challenge the government's dominance over monetary policy and the financial sector. If not cryptocurrencies, then private currencies or competitive state currencies. Uh, That's also a good strategy for states to reassert their independence and give us more choices to shop around for a government. Medical tourism is a great way to get away from the government-regulated healthcare system. You can get high-quality surgeries for a much lower cost. But probably the most important step is to get your kids and teens far, far away from public schools. Uh, Public schools stomp all over young people's freedoms, destroy their aspirations, and indoctrinate them into a harmful slave mindset. I can't overstate the harm public schooling has done to our society. Countless individuals have been robbed of their potential because of these damn uh, harmful institutions. But you can withdraw your children from public schools. And if you think that homeschooling or private education isn't an option for you, you won't want to miss next week's discussion. Uh his article. Uh you'll find out why it's easier than ever to divorce your family from the public education system. You don't have to play by the rules uh of the corrupt politicians, manipulative media and brainwashed peers. Uh basically the end of the article. An abrupt end, but the end. Um and for the for the most part, um I agree with a lot of it. You know, I um I th- I think in my mind I've become a convert uh over to the more ignore them uh, rather than fight them state of things. Um, but man, I don't like, I don't like reading articles like this that like advocate for paying taxes. So one, one little hiccup, in my opinion, um, pay as little as you can, right. And, and do so begrudgingly. Like I wouldn't, I don't want, I don't, I don't like advising people to pay taxes. Um, unless you're scared. Like, like I said before, I, I, I appreciate, and I accept the, I fear the consequences of not paying uh, therefore I pay, uh, argument that, or, you know, answer that people give. Um, and I, I want to, I want to tell them to like, you know, break through the fear, like overcome the fear. And then once we all overcome the fear, um, it's, it's a, it's a lot harder to enforce. So don't pay your taxes with me. Right. Like I, you know, I, I pay as little as I can get away with. And, and as discussed before, um, It doesn't make me a hypocrite as an anarchist, you know, to do that. It's just, there's, there's levels of convenience that are accounted for, right? Like I, and even those that aren't, I don't want to get into, right? Like I don't want to be in the forest, um, hunting, hunting squirrels and picking berries for, for sustenance, right? Just, just to get away from the state. Um, I, I like modern conveniences too much. I like sitting at my computer doing this show, you know, um, I like, like television shows and those sorts of things um and that's it's not a and i don't even want to acknowledge that that's you know the price you pay for a convenient society is the taxes because it doesn't need to be um it just happens to be that way now so uh but everything else you know like you know get get yourself some crypto uh work on the underground you know uh since moving here that i've had a few opportunities to to make a little side cash um, you know, just like back home, not doing the same thing, but, you know, just little, 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 side projects, side gigs here and there. So stepping out of the, the regular nine to five thing to get a little bit of extra income that goes unnoticed, uh, by the state, you know, all that, all that sort of agorist behavior, right. Offer your services, you know, to, to people who are willing to pay, um, and just don't, just don't let the government see the money, hide it in crypto or, you know, Bitcoin or Monero, or whatever it is, um, Dash, for some reason, is a big deal here. Not sure why that is, but it is. Um, But yeah, but other than taxes, you know, all good advice uh, from this article. So moving on. It's okay not to vote. And this is a big one for me. I'll I'll get into the article in a minute. But I'll just say, you know, you guys know uh, I don't vote. I've never voted. Don't have the desire to vote. Don't want to impose my will on anybody else because it's kind of like a direct opposite. what the, uh, what the last article, um, was getting into it's, it's involving myself in a system that I ought not involve myself in. Um, but moving here, right. There's a whole bunch of people going, well, you should vote here because here the libertarians have a chance. And I go, well, I still, I still wouldn't vote for libertarian because anybody who takes office, uh, is like de facto trying to control my life. Um, with whatever rules, whatever laws, whatever they pass, thinking that they have, you know, the reins and the control of the state um, in order to do that. Uh, So unless there's a candidate running and they're going to like repeal all the laws, right? If you're running on a platform of repeal all the laws, you know, maybe I'll support your campaign. Um, I still don't think I could bring myself to voting for you, but that's the only way, that's like the only way, just 100% 100% full repeal we're not going to pass anything we're not going to try to get anything to just whatever's on the books get them off the books uh, and that would be the end of it for me so uh, even so even what my point is even here people are like pushing this you know the slave mentality of you got to vote you know this master's better than that master and so finally found an article hopefully where it's okay not to vote Instead, uh, you can do something that actually make the world a better place, which is basically anything else. Thank you. You're probably a good person, or at least you try to be. You want to do the right thing. But are you having trouble shaking the sense that you might have a better thing to do next Tuesday than voting? Instead of trying to motivate yourself and others to do a thing that feels pointless, why not stop and consider the possibility it actually is pointless? And not in an all-human-endeavor-is-pointless kind of way, in a highly specific way that can actually be dealt with productively. First things first, your vote is wildly, insanely, hugely unlikely to influence the outcome of an election. No presidential election has been ever decided by a single vote. Academic surveys of close elections have turned up one 1910 Buffalo contest that may have been a true single vote victory, but that's in 100 years of congressional races. In four of the ten closest conger- congressional and state legislative races back into 1898, further investigations and recounts nearly always unearthed margins significantly larger than what initially appeared in the official record. Your vote is very, 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 very unlikely to change the outcome of an election. But what about the cascade effect, you ask? Won't my decision not to vote influence others reducing voter turnout and thereby legitimi- legitimizing? Thereby the legitimacy of our very form of government hastening the demise of the American experiment? Probably not. Uh, people are hard to convince. I'm not even convinced you. I'm not even convincing you right now. You're probably going not going to vote anyway, and you're still not convinced by this post. That's okay. You're just making my point for me. Your actions are unlikely to influence others in the in this instance, so you should do what's right for you. Alternately, you could skip voting and simply mislead others into thinking you did so. You could order a roll of I Voted stickers right now and have them in time for the election day. and Every single one thereafter. And listen, if you're in it for the warm fuzzies than the people watching, that's fine. Maybe your own pleasures in the act of voting is the best you can do with your time to make the world a better place. That's okay. It's good to do things that make you happy. But for goodness sakes, stop looking accents at the stickers. Not sure what that means. Uh, we have parent-teacher conferences. Why DC public schools? Why? We have columns to write about the nature of civic virtues. We have a shift at the soup kitchen. We have one stamp and two envelopes to mail. We have weddings and funerals to attend. We have Kenyan cows to kickstart. Uh, we have a vacation later this year. We have jury duty. We have to correct someone who is wrong on the internet. We have puppies to pet. We have burritos to microwave. Exactly 100% of the activities listed above will have more tangible benefits in the world than voting. To be clear, someone said to me, KMW, uh, you're the only voter in this election. What you decide will in fact determine the outcome of the election. Uh, then I would vote. I do not think the act of ballot casting is necessarily intrinsically bad for all humans, but neither is it intrinsically good. If you do want to dig deeper on that intrinsic badness angle, may I suggest philosopher Jason Brennan's book on the topic. In 2012, I was raring to go on the idea that voting might in fact be immoral, but I've mellowed in my old age I don't want to fight you about whether an uninformed vote may actually cause harm by incentivizing stupider party platforms and rhetoric. I don't want to squabble about whether believing the candidates of the system are ethically flawed or produce bad results makes voters complicit in subsequent abuse of the power. I don't want to holler about how damaging the cliche, if you don't vote, you can't complain, is to the fundamental tenets of free speech. Hmm. I guess I actually still do want to fight about those things. Yes, good, because I do too. Fuck. Uh, bless this lineup of young people who explained to New York Magazine why they are not voting. They seem to be the only ones in this crazy world who understand opportunity costs. The article has been shared a lot, and I suspect mostly in the service of vote-shaming and fostering uh, generational warfare. I'm in favor of both shame and generational warfare, but this is not the way to go about it. Because, to be honest, nearly each and every of these 20-something is making solid points. The idea of leaving work, forwarding all my calls to my phone to go stand in line for, for four hours to probably get called back to work before I even get halfway through the line sounds terrible, says Maria, 26. She goes on to note that she cares deeply about certain issues, including immigration and reproductive rights, but recognizes that standing in line to vote is not an efficient way to further those causes. And there's Thomas, 28, who says, Over the years, I've started to think maybe we don't have the frame, time, we don't have to frame this so much as an individual act with these moral consequences that I need to stop being so dramatic about it. Wise. And of course, Tim, the hero of the forum, who bravely proclaims, I hate mailing stuff. Gives me anxiety. So here's a simple proposition. Instead of voting on election day, just do the things that actually benefit you, your family, your community, or the world. Instead of queuing up to enact a symbolic ritual with a vanishingly small chance of altering the course of events, take the time and money you would have spent voting, even if very little time and or or money, and do literally anything else as long as it has a real-world impact, including fighting with me on Twitter about this post, if you like. End of the article. And once again, I consider myself a principled non-voter. Like I don't, I don't want to control your life. I don't want to, uh, give others the authority or the perceived authority to control your life. Um, in my opinion, by not voting, not only do I get to claim, uh, that the system is bad, uh, you know, and, and, and so on. Um, but I can also say that, you know, I, I don't participate. I, I, I don't consent. Um, your, your vote should not impact me and my vote should never impact you. And I withhold my vote so as not to give credence, um, to the system that tries to control your life. I don't want to participate. I want out. I want to opt out completely from that system altogether. Um, and if I let myself, you know, and if if you participate in that system, um, regardless of how you feel about what's going on, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, Bad candidate A or bad candidate B or the lesser of two evils is still evil, and so on. You're, you're still you're still allowing the system um, to control how you think and how you feel about it, right? You know we have to we have to vote because the alternative is so bad, um, is BS. Like like the article says, go do anything else, go do anything else, um, and and also rather than complain, right, do something about that too. Like, like, the, you know, go, going back to the first article, you know, do your best to, to opt out of the system. Um, and then if the system comes after you, then do your best to fight back. Moving on. All right. This next one's a short one. Um, however, it's more how I felt before I woke up late on time this morning. Let daylight savings time die already. Uh, everyone not named Franklin D Roosevelt hates daylight savings time. The constant back and forth is confusing, especially for those who have an early Sunday morning commitment. The Standard Time Act of 1918 gave the federal government power to oversee national time zones. Uh, That power was extended with the passage of the Uniform Time Act of 1966, which allows the Department of Transportation to set daylight savings time for the entire country. Uh, Why DOT? Because the standards are important for many modes of transportation, or something like that. Uh, Despite decades of observance, however, more and more Americans are rebelling against the pointless concept. Arizona, Hawaii, and territories like American Samoa and Puerto Rico have broken free of oppressive time changes. Uh, If a state wishes to follow suit, including those who choose to keep their state in daylight savings time zones year-round, it must seek approval from DOT. In March, Florida signed off on appropriately named Sunshine Protection Act. Uh, But thanks to the federal government, residents must wait on Congress to change federal law in their favor. They, too, will begrudgingly observe the time change this year. Uh, Californians, hoping to ditch the practice, are planning to vote yes on Proposition 7, uh, yet must similarly wait for congressional approval. Uh, Massachusetts is also considering a change to its laws, with more states following suit. Uh, the federal government still reserves the ability to deny a state's request. As more states to rebel against changing their clocks twice a year, an important question remains, what do we still do? why do we still do this in- inane practice? Uh the century old justification relates to farming war and light bulb conservation no longer apply in the modern world. We do this simply because we've always done it. Except of course we haven't always done it. In the case of Massachusetts actual harm results from the practice. As you wind your clocks back this weekend and then find yourself gassed earlier than you should come Monday afternoon, blame Washington DC. All right, end of the article. And again, very short. And despite my uh, claim earlier in the show and my post, I'm still not a big fan. Like I, I could care less. Um, couldn't care less. I forget uh, about daylight savings time, but I do think it's a, a an unnecessary event um, in the lives across the world because um, it's a, it's it's a government action that attempts to change nature for no apparent reason, right? Like the, the mere fact that those morons are in in charge of the time zones or the time or what time it is number one is ludicrous and number two doesn't affect anything real right the the clocks go back or forward depending on time of the year back this time uh, but the earth doesn't rotate back uh, you know the the earth doesn't shift its its rotation around the sun uh, all we did is like change the clocks here to something that's basically unnatural, right? Like, and who cares? Uh, the, the, the only thing that matters is, you know, whether or not what you want to do is available to be done when you want to do it, right? The, what time does the store open? Um, and I, for one have always been a favor of like the single time zone, um, the global time zone, <coughs> if you will, um, simply because it doesn't matter, Right? Like, who, who cares what time it is uh, in whatever time zone? Like, what difference does that make? If, 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 if every time zone ran on the same, if every geographic location ran on the same time zone, right, things would just open at different times there, right? Like, the store in Arizona would open at 12 instead of at 8 in the morning because they're like the four hours difference, you know? Or, you know, the, the sun comes out four hours later for them. So, so they just open later, right? But everything's on the same time. So no matter where you are in the country, um, you know what time things open because it's, you don't have to change it. You don't have to worry about, you know, this hour, that hour or whatever. It's just, that's the time, that's the time that it is, um, you know, globally. And then everything shifts around that. And it always made sense to me. And, and if you don't like it, who cares, right? If you want, if you want your store to be on some other odd time, um, do it right like if 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 individual businesses didn't want to recognize daylight savings time um all they have to do is like shift their business hours when the when the clocks strike right. so instead of instead of opening at 8 right today they would just open at 9 and then for the next few months out of the year they just they stay open at 9 they open at 9 instead of 8 and then they're just on the same time as they always were but for some reason the numbers on the door say something different so it's so stupid. It's, number one, so stupid, and number two, even stupider uh, to put the state, the the government, in charge of it because it's trying to control nature, and that's just dumb. Um, again, short article, short little mini rant because it's so stupid, and, and, and it has to be said like twice a year. Twice a year these articles come up saying how stupid it is, um, and yet, you know, uh, based on this article, not going to change anytime soon. Because the stupid people in charge are the ones who get to make that decision, the Department of Transportation, as if it matters, right? You know, oh, no, this delivery was supposed to be at nine. Well, it t- takes me this far to drive it, and now I'm here. So there, this is, this is when it gets delivered, regardless of what you said. Moving on. Ooh, this is going to be a fun one. I don't know how long this article is. China permits limited trade of rhino and tiger goods. <clears throat> Give it up to China for allowing more freedom. Beijing. China, on Monday, announced it was authorizing the trade of rhinoceros and tiger parts for scientific, medical, and cultural purposes, a move wildlife conservationists fear could have devastating consequences globally. The trade of rhinos, tigers, and their related products will be allowed under special circumstances, the state council or cabinet said in a statement. Those include scientific research sale and cultural relics and medical research and healings. The newly sanctioned area of trade will be highly regulated. Aw darn. Only doctors at hospitals uh, recognized by the state administration of traditional Chinese medicine will be allowed to use powdered forms of rhinoceros horn and tiger bone. Tourism and cultural heritage authorities will also have to sign off on any rhino and tiger products that are used for temporary cultural exchange. Trade volumes will be strictly controlled, the state council said, with any trade outside of an authorized use cases to remain banned. Uh, China prohibited the trade of rhino horns and tiger bones in 1993, but a black market has flourished, of course, with many products entering the country through Vietnam, according to an investigation conducted last year by the Elephant Action League Conservation Group. Wildlife conservationists worry that allowing a limited trade of rhino and tiger goods will spur overall demand for related products, while efforts to crack down on wildlife contraband will be hindered. Not only could this lead to the risk of legal trade providing cover to illegal trade, this policy will also stimulate demand that has otherwise declined since the ban was put in place. Uh, Margaret uh, Kinnaird, the World Wildlife Fund's wildlife practice leader, said in a statement, China has made efforts to crack down on the sale of illegal wildlife products such as ivory in recent years. Uh, The country's ban on ivory sales went into effect December of 2017, an attempt to rein in what used to be the product's largest market in the world. A partial ban on ivory has all resulted in an 80% decline in ivory seizures entering China and a 65% drop in domestic prices for raw ivory, according to a report last year by state media Xinhua. (coughs) Ivory is seen as a status symbol in China. Other other illegal wildlife products, such as pangolin scales, continue to see demand for the supposed medical properties. End of the article. Holy jeebus. I have to pause for a minute for a massive coughing interlude. Excuse me. Um, yeah, so like I kind of said, um, it, any incremental steps are better than no steps. Um, although I, I continue to advocate for hundred percent freedom, hundred uh, percent of the time, complete liberty, if you will. Um, uh, any, 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 you know, any type of incremental step is always a good one. So, um, so things like this and, you know, the, the whole marijuana decrim thing, like I support, um, part of it. Right, like if you if you want to allow trade for uh, rhinoceros and tiger parts, yay, like good, like open up the trade. Um, always a good thing in my book. And then you want to restrict it, I go okay. So there's still work to be done, right? I got into it with a, a buddy of mine um, some weeks ago. At this point, again over the marijuana thing because he's like he's happy um, that Colorado is using marijuana taxes to like to fund other things. And I went well, halfway, right? Like great that they're they legalized weed um bad that they're using the money to fund other derogatory and negative you know programs in my opinion so if we can eliminate the taxes you know and just have the freedom um uh, wouldn't that be better and then you know he he went off on you know basically basically he's like i when i met him he was the only other anarchist that i knew um and now he's like gotten too old for anarchy i guess right like like the last article you know i'm getting too old i'm getting too old to you well i'm not too old to are you so we will fight all the time about stuff like this um but yeah so when 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 you allow the trade of tiger horns or rhinoceros horns and tiger bones and for for whatever reason i don't even care if it's medicinal or not or you know ancient chinese herbals or whatever um just uh more more freedom for trade is always better than less um and so, and but, yeah, still work to be done. So until it's like wide open um, for anyone to to, to trade, uh, and you don't need special permission from the state, well, then there you they know there's a little bit of ways to go. But opening it up a little bit is a is a good start. Um, and I do like the I do like the fact that you know that again the 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 it's a cover for the illegal black market activity because um, as we've read articles in the past, if you're worried about animal conservation. Um, the easiest way to do it is to legalize their ownership because then the owners of it have a, have a incentive to protect the species. So you don't want poachers uh, hunting rhinos for the horn and killing them and not using the rest of it, but you can harvest, you can harvest and you can breed and you can make more and more. Same with the tigers, right? You you can uh, breed tigers and make more tigers and rather than just hunting them off in the wild. Um, so if, if you, if you turn those wild animals into farm animals instead, uh, by allowing their legal ownership, um, thank you state for allowing me to own you know other types of pets or farm goods. Um, well, then you, you will see that uh, they increase, right? They're, they're you don't have to worry about conservation anymore because they're being bred um, overbred in a lot of cases, right? You've seen the videos of like the the factory chicken farms and factory pig farms where they're just overly crowded. Uh, not natural, not in the wild, uh, but look how many there are, right? And they, and they kill so much of them and still look how many they are. So if you wanted the same, if you're worried about elephants and rhinos and tigers, you know, going extinct or anything like that, no, turn them into farm animals, right? Why not? Or, you know, and when I say turn them into farm animals, I'm, I'm more mean, um, allow for their private ownership, uh, to breed and to use the, the products, um, of these animals for sale, right? For, for Whatever. Um, uh, I've always wanted ivory products, but they're, you know, at this point, so hard to come by and so expensive that I'm not on the level of being able to afford it yet. Um, uh, I remember, uh, I was working and me and my buddy had to go like haul out a piano from a house and we went to go haul out the piano and they're like, well, the, the keys are still real ivory keys on the piano and ooh we should take that. Like, that's why are we going to throw this away? You know, we, that has to be valuable, um, and the reason he didn't do it is because, well, if you, even though that's already produced, you can't sell it. Like, you know, it's illegal, it's illegal to sell. So you couldn't even, you'd have to find a black market for, for piano keys, uh, and, or other ivory products to sell. And then that would be like prohibitively difficult and too dangerous to get into. I'm like, uh, oh, so, so off to the dump it goes. Right. So, but if we were allowed to, right, like look at all the money making opportunities for us to, to do more with uh, what we got. Um, uh, If I had the opportunity again, I might do it just, just because, or find someone to help me who knew what they were doing. Moving on. This will be fun. I got this article, uh, you know, for MC. And then I saw that he shared it on Facebook earlier. So here we go. A cryptocurrency millionaire wants to build a utopia in Nevada. A man spent millions on an enormous plot of land near Reno. Now he wants to build a community based on blockchain technology introduced by Bitcoin. An enormous plot of land in Nevada desert, bigger than nearby Reno, has been subject of local intrigue since a company with no history, Blockchains LLC, bought it for $170 million in cash this year. The man who owns the company, a lawyer and cryptocurrency millionaire named Jeffrey Burns, put on a helmet and climbed into a Polaris off-road vehicle last week to give a tour of the sprawling property and dispel a bit of the mystery. He imagines a sort of experimental community spread over about a 100 square miles where houses, schools, commercial districts, and production studios will be built. The centerpiece of this giant project will be the blockchain, a new kind of database that was introduced by Bitcoin. After his driver stopped the Polaris on a high desert plateau surrounded by blooming rabbit brush and grazing herds of wild horses, Mr. Burns, who is 56, pointed to the highlights of his dream community. You see that first range of mountains, he said, pointing south? Those mountains are the border of our South Valley. That's where we're going to build the high-tech park, a research campus that would cover hundreds of acres. There are also plans for college and an e-gaming arena. As strange, even fantastical as all this might sound, Mr. Burns' ambition fits right into the idiosyncratic world of cryptocurrencies and blockchains. Uh, The blockchain began as a digital ledger on which all Bitcoin transactions are recorded. Some aficionados have grander plans. They think it could be a new way of taking power back from the institutions they believe are calling all the shots. Just as Bitcoin made it possible to transfer money without using a bank, blockchain believers like Mr. Burns think that technology will make it possible for ordinary people to control their own data, the lifeblood of the digital economy, without relying on big companies or governments. There is a fuzzy line between these utopian visions and get-rich-quick schemes. Several cryptocurrency projects have been shut down by regulators, apparent hucksters have been arrested, and a plan to transform Puerto Rico with cryptocurrencies has been criticized as nothing more than a bid to take advantage of the island's status as a tax haven. Mr. Burns was drawn to Nevada by its tax benefits, including the lack of income tax, and the breadth of his ambition certainly raises the risk of a boondoggle. Uh, But he is different from his crypto brethren in one big way, He is spending his own money. So far, he said he has spent $300 million on the land, offices, planning, and a staff of 70 people. And buying 67,000 largely undeveloped acres is a bit old-fashioned real estate risk-taking. Still, Mr. Burns said his ambition was not to be a real estate magnet or even get rich or richer. He is promising to give away all decision-making power for the project and 90% of any dividends it generates to a corporate structure that will be held by residents, employees, and future investors. That structure, which he calls a distributed collaborative entity, is supposed to operate on a blockchain where everyone's ownership rights and voting powers will be recorded in a digital wallet. Mr. Burns acknowledges that this this is way beyond what blockchains have actually accomplished, but that hasn't discouraged him. I don't know why, he said over the roar of Polaris engines. I just, something inside me tells me this is the answer, that if we can get enough people to trust the blockchain, we can begin to change all the systems we operate by. Mr. Burns has managed to win over local officials who are eager for economic development. Nevada's Governor Brian Sandoval read a proclamation that named the blockchain's property Innovation Park at an event last month where Mr. Burns sat on a panel with the Governor and Elon Musk, the chief executive of Tesla. Tesla's Gigafactory in Nevada, which has been described as the largest building in the world, is surrounded by blockchain's land. Uh, Companies like Google, Apple, and Switch also have properties in the industrial park that is surrounding uh, that is surrounded by Mr. Burns holdings uh, this week he announced a memorandum of understanding with one of the state's main power companies nv energy to team up on projects that will run energy transactions through a blockchain the nevada county where this is all located story county has only about 4000 residents and it was best known until recently for its history of silver mining and its modern brothels including one owned by the county commissioner <coughs> That same county commissioner, Lance Gilman, bought the land surrounding the brothel and turned it into the industrial park where Tesla and Google are now located. Uh, Blockchains has already received preliminary county support for a new town along the Truckee River with thousands of homes, a school, and a drone delivery system, and is working closely with the county on a broader master plan. (coughs) But for now, Blockchains is empty land and repurposed office building. Uh, Mr. Burns said the company won't begin construction on the uh, broader property until late 2019 at the earliest after putting together the master plan and getting it approved by the county. Uh, The office manager for Mr. Burns' old law offices in Los Angeles, uh, Joanna Rodriguez, moved with her four children and husband to Nevada. He has these crazy ideas, but I know that every time he sets his mind to something, he will get there, said Ms. Rodriguez, 29, who has worked with Mr. Burns for eight years and is now the manager of the blockchain's office in Nevada. That's why I decided to move. Mr. Burns spent most of his professional life on class action lawsuits, many of them against financial companies. He learned about Bitcoin in 2012, but was won over by other cryptocurrency, Ethereum, which makes it possible to store more than just transaction data on a blockchain. Mr. Burns bought Ether, the digital token associated with Ethereum, in a big sale in 2015. Thanks to an astronomical increase in the price of Ether and some well-timed selling last year before it crashed, he became wealthy enough to fund his dream project. Ethereum is what he believes makes his community more than just a giant real estate project. To understand why requires more than a bit of imagination and faith. Every resident and employee will have what amounts to an Ethereum address, which will be used to vote on local measures and store their personal data. Mr. Burns believes Ethereum will give people a way to control their identity and online data without any government or companies involved. (laughs) That is a widely shared view of the blockchain community, but there are significant questions about whether any of it can work in the real world. Most blockchain companies have failed to gain any traction, and Ethereum and Bitcoin networks have struggled to handle even moderate amounts of traffic. Mr. Burns believes that one of the big problems has been security. People have been terrible at holding the private keys that are necessary to get access to a Bitcoin or Ethereum wallet. He wants to address that with a custom-built system where people's private keys are stored on multiple digital devices kept in vaults so that no one device can gain access to the keys. He has already purchased vaults that are burrowed into mountains in Sweden and Switzerland and he plans to build additional vaults in the mountains of in Nevada. The other thing holding back Ethereum, Mr. Burns believes, uh, has been a lack of real-world laboratories. His Nevada land, he hopes, will change that. This will either be the biggest thing ever, or the most spectacular crash and burn in the history of mankind. Mr. Burns said, uh, "I don't know which one. I believe it's the former, but either way, it's going to be one hell of a ride." Uh, end of the article. <clears throat> now this is more along the lines about what the hell I'm talking about, right? You know, um, and, and I get it. He's got to work with the County and the local government and the state government and whatnot to get it done. Um, but at the same time, here is a man who puts his money where his mouth is, right? He doesn't seek the government, uh, to control, you know, what's going on with this land. He's not petitioning for anything. He bought it. And now, you know, like any businessman, unfortunately has to do. He's just seeking out their permission to do what he wants with it. Um, the fact that he's using Ethereum or, or blockchain is mostly irrelevant to me. I mean, it's cool that that's what he's doing. Um, but just the mere fact that he's willing to put his own money on the line to 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 get this land built and to experiment in a world where, you know, the, the government is largely unnecessary and companies are largely uh, unnecessary as far as, you know, holding your data, since that's a big thing. And where I, th- I think in you know, a couple articles, we, we might get into that if I if I don't run out of time first. Um, but where, where, you know, the individual has control of their life and their data and all that, you know, back in your hands, um, where that can be used to make decisions, uh, you know, um, and going back to voting, right, th- th- entirely different than voting for state measures, uh, because this is like, this would be a, a voluntary community set up, right? Not an involuntary structure foisted upon you by the state or by people looking to control you, right? There's, there's no guns pointing at you, um, uh, you know, in, in his community for simply making a decision about how things are run, or if you don't pay into it, right? You, you pay into it by purchasing land or purchasing office space there. Um, that's it, right? It's, it's a voluntary exchange with, with this gentleman and that would be the end of it or the corporation that, that he sets forth. And again, for for me, you know, there's, a, uh, the, you know, the old like anything peaceful. I've always been the lines of anything voluntary. I don't care if it's voluntary violence, um, as long as it's voluntary and and everyone agrees to it. By all means, have at it. And the mere fact that you know this dude uh, got rich or was already rich and got richer. Uh, and it's putting his own money where his mouth is to to do this experiment. Um more power to him. And that's the sort of that's the sort of behavior that goes back again to the first article um that we read where it's do something other than vote, right? Or you know or second article, I guess, do something other than vote, do something productive, um do something that gets the state out of your life. You know, just just or the first article then, yeah. First and second article that we read today. Um do something on your own and to to get the government out of your life. Um, and put your money where your mouth is, right? Start, start up your small business. You know, if, if you have one, um, it. the, the, the mere fact that he's got more money and a bigger, uh, bigger vision shouldn't, shouldn't dispel you or from, from starting your own. Um, but the mentality is the same, right? How do we change the world? Uh, small acts, uh, done on an individual level. Moving on. Why bad economics make such good politics. Here's another fucking voting article. Uh, As the election nears, politicians will more and more frantically point out what wonderful favors they have done for voters, or what favors they will do for the voters if elected. Of course, they never mean all the voters, they mean groups or individuals within the voting population who believe they benefit from laws, taxes, regulations, and spending programs supported by the politician in question. Two such examples of these sorts of favors are tariffs and minimum wage laws. Both impose costs on both producers and consumers overall while benefiting a small sliver of the population that is able to take advantage of the government mandate. The economics of these, or taxation and business regulation in general, have already been addressed numerous times in these pages. It must suffice to point out that these policies, for which politicians think they deserve accolades, potentially benefit only a very small, specific interest groups. Nevertheless, these policies can prove to be politically popular and may help a politician get elected. But why should policies that help so few and impose so many costs on even those they purport to help be politically popular? Uh, Hazlitt and Mises on the popularity of bad economics. Answering this question was one of the main reasons that Henry Hazlitt wrote his uh, perennially popular book, Economics, in One Lesson. In the very first chapter, Hazlitt notes that economic science is prone to so many errors because people are motivated to believe an incorrect version of economics that support their own economic interest. Or as Hazlitt put it, economic errors are multiplied a thousandfold by special pleadings of selfish interests. Sometimes, these attempts to throw good economics in the garbage are spectacularly successful. After all, for decades, no insignificant number of Americans believed the claim that what's good for General Motors is good for America. Hazlitt continues. While every group has certain economic interests identical with those of all groups, every group also has, as we shall see, interests antagonistic to those of all other groups. While certain public policies would in the long run benefit everybody, other policies would benefit one group only at the expense of all other groups. The group that would benefit by such policies having such a direct interest in them will argue for them plausibly and persistently it will hire the best and viable minds to devote their whole time to presenting its case, and it will finally either convince the general public that its case is sound, or so befuddle it that the clear thinking on the subject becomes next to impossible. In other words, it's amazing what you can get people to believe with the right ad campaign or lobbying campaign. Ludwig von Mises also defined a problem in his book Theory and History, uh, noting that the common good, which he called the common wheel, was most certainly not the same thing as the good of the special interest. Nevertheless, many bad economists, Mises tells us, have tended to support policies that benefit whatever group the economist happens to like. People aim at definite ends when resorting to tariff or decreeing minimum wage rates. When the economists thought such policies would attain these ends, sought by their supporters, they called them good. The real job, however, uh, the real job of an economist, however, according to Mises, is something else. In dealing with economic policies, economics merely investigates two points. First, whether or not the policies concerned are fit to attain the ends which those recommending and applying them want to attain. Secondly, whether these policies do not perhaps produce effects from the point of view of those recommending and applying them are undesirable. Uh, When politicians support minimum wages or tariffs, they usually frame the policies as being beneficial to nearly everyone. This is why headlines like, Raising the minimum wage would benefit everyone, are so common. Meanwhile, both Mises and Hazlitt would maintain, drawing on sound economics, and not even using the empirical evidence which backs them up, that these policies harm nearly everyone and benefit only a few. Moreover, the benefit enjoyed by that small minority may not even extend only to the short term or may even be negative when the bigger picture is considered. As Hazlitt noted, it is the job of economists to consider all of the angles and options And thus, economists do their job when explaining how and why minimum wages and tariffs don't attain these ends, which their supporters claim. The problem with, I'm willing to pay a few more bucks. Confronted with the simplicity and basic economic sense of the economic arguments, advocates for minimum wage hikes and tariffs often fail to get the support they'd like. To counter this, they employ a different tactic. When economic arguments fail, supporters of these policies claim that, well, I am willing to pay the price of adopting these the interventionist economic policy in question because suggesting that the cost is low and there is a moral imperative to adopt their interventionist point of view this is how it works economist a points out to activist b that the tariff raises the price of goods thus making products and services more expensive for entrepreneurs and producers who use the goods this leads to fewer goods being available on the market fewer choices for everyone and higher prices to boot activist b then responds Well, maybe the tariffs will make prices higher, but I'm willing to pay that price because the Chinese are cheating us, beating the Chinese as worth a few bucks more on widgets. But here's the rub. Activist B says, I'm willing to pay the price. What he's really saying is that he's willing to have you pay the price uh, more for the goods and services affected, whether you like it or not. And if you're not happy to pay more in order to beat the Chinese or whatever, well, then that's just tough luck. The fact that tariffs might be slashing profit margins at your small family-owned steel-fence manufacturing firm means nothing to them. The fact that the higher minimum wage might force you to close your family restaurant is equally of no concern. They're willing to pay the price of adopting the policy they want, so you are expected to do the same, since in their minds, the good of their own interests, whether they be economics or moral, trumps the interest of everyone else. Ultimately, there is nothing more sophisticated than the belief that the police power of the state. Ought to be used to force economic policies on everyone to satisfy the whims of a few. It's nothing more than good old fashioned mercantilism. Uh, many good economists think they have thoroughly decredit, discredited mercantilism two hundred years ago. Continue to be dismayed by the sizable portion of the voting public continues to be hoodwinked by it all. But if history is any indicator, indicator mercantilism never really stopped being popular. Uh, end of the article, and well written at that. Um, I don't, I don't know how many times in, in talking with, you know, friends, mostly on the left, um, who say that, who who use those very arguments, uh, if not those very terms, right. I'm, I would willing, I am willing to pay more, right. I'm, I'm willing to do it. And I go, great. Then you go do it and stop forcing me to do it. That's all I ask, right. If it's vol- if it's voluntary and your idea is such a good idea, then you go pay for it and leave me be because I don't think it's a good idea and I don't support your idea, and I don't want to pay for it, but please go prove me wrong with your own money. Like the guy in Nevada, right? Go prove me wrong with your own money, or, you know, in in that sense, because I don't really care. Uh, I I don't think the guy in Nevada is, like, not on my side. But at least he's using his own money um, to go out there and to to make an impact on the world, which is what I would like uh, my friends who vote and my friends who support the state um, and my friends, you know, Uh, I use that term loosely, uh, um, want all the, who have all these good intentions or what they claim to be good intentions to do is just, uh, stop using my money to, to, to try out your ideas and to test out your theories, go do it on your own. Um, and that's it. And then, and, you know, do the experiment on your own and see if it fails or not. All right, moving on. Cause apparently I'm getting short on time and I got like two more to get to if I want to finish it all. Uh, Tearing down social platforms like Gab won't stop the violence. Uh, if Twitter isn't responsible for ISIS and Facebook isn't responsible for murder, why is Gab responsible for the synagogue shooting? Last weekend, a horrible tragedy occurred when a gunman opened fire in a Pittsburgh synagogue, killing 11 people. In the wake of this tragedy, a devastated public has been seeking to make sense of the act of mass violence. But as is common when dealing with grief, sadness often turns to anger and confusion And there is a sense that justice must be served, not on the perpetrator, but on those indirectly involved. When an individual commits a violent act, only that person should be held directly responsible. But our country has lost its sense of personal responsibility, and when something goes wrong, the default response is to widely cast blame on anyone or anything that can be conceivably linked to the act. Following the Pittsburgh shooting, many have decided that punishing alternative social media site platforms will somehow avenge the lives lost. Unfortunately, this is not the case, and by arbitrarily pointing fingers, we completely abandon the principle of personal responsibility. Is social media to blame? Immediately following the massacre, it was discovered that the suspected gunman had made several antisemitic social media posts, many originating on the platform Gab. In response, PayPal sent a letter to Gab, saying that it would no longer offer payment services to the network. PayPal gave no specific reason for the action, aside from specifying that it has the right to terminate business relationships at its own discretion. Which, as private companies, it absolutely does. However, PayPal later told The Verge, the company is diligent in performing reviews and taking account action. When a site is explicitly allowing the perpetuation of hate, violence, or discriminatory intolerance, we take immediate and decisive action. Uh, Shortly thereafter, Gab received word that its web hosting, provider joint, would also be ending their business relationship in light of the gunman's social media presence on the site. Uh, GoDaddy has cut its ties with the platform as well. Gab told its users that it would be working on finding alternatives, but these losses will surely cause the social networking site many problems in the coming weeks. Adding expropriation to injury, uh, the payment processing company Stripe sent a letter to Gab saying, While we continue our investigation, we are suspending transfers to your bank account, effective immediately. Your Stripe account will continue to be able to receive payments from your customers, but you will not receive payouts until we re-enable them. Again, these companies certainly have the right to cut ties, but their decision does not make a whole lot of sense. After all, Gab is not the only social media platform that has been used by murderers and other monsters of humanity. Uh, at its peak, the terrorist ISIS group frequently made use of Twitter as a means of recruiting members. Twitter has also been used by several others, other users who were later discovered to be murderers. However. Twitter itself was never held responsible for these actions. In addition to Twitter, Facebook has also been utilized by many murderers, some even boasting about their killings, their kills on the popular social media site. Yet Facebook has never had to face the same negative backlash as Gab is currently having to endure. And to make matters worse, Gab is one of the few social media platforms that has committed itself to free speech even in our current climate of censorship hysteria. As Facebook and Twitter continue to ban users, we need to preserve as many alternative social media sites as possible. I'm going to jump in right here because th- this is the reason. That's the very reason why, right? Uh, it's 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 a competitive alternative that isn't even as popular as it could be yet, uh, and they're 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 doing whatever it takes to shut them down before they get off the ground um, and take over. Because when you commit to free speech and you commit to openness. And you commit to the, the the types of of positions that Gab and some others have committed to, um, you stir the pot, you stir the pot, and you piss off the big boys and Facebook and Twitter and Google and all of them. They have you know they, they have influence. Um, I'm sure they have influence with PayPal. I'm sure they have influence on on the, the domain hosts and all and GoDaddy and all that other stuff. And they exert that influence to stifle competition so that they're the only ones left and they control the narrative. That right there is the crux of this whole thing. It has nothing to do with the Pittsburgh shooter. It has nothing to do with Gab. It has nothing to do with um, with who uses what platform or or, or openness. It's it's uh, bullying and censorship at the highest level, so that they control the narrative. Uh, and I uh, again, I've advocated in the past, and I still do that as private corporations and private companies. They have all the right in the world uh, to limit what you can do, um, and so and and like the article says, PayPal and all that has the right to to cut ties. Uh, but what you have to look at is the motivation behind it, and the the motivation should be evident enough that they're they're controlling the media, they're controlling the narrative, so that the real message doesn't get out. Moving on, the problem with purging. Uh, Over the last several months, both Facebook and Twitter have been deleting the accounts of users and profiles and pages that have been flagged as racist or offensive. While Facebook claims that many of the 800 accounts it banned were recently the result of spamming violations, many of the banned pages have denied these allegations. Additionally, many of the pages deleted were right-leaning groups, and given the proximity to the midterm elections, the whole thing is highly suspect. Now many users feel fear that uh, their accounts might also be banned for simply expressing an opinion that doesn't align with those who control these platforms. And many have begun to abandon these popular platforms in search of alternatives that do not threaten to ban users for expressing their opinions, no matter how radical or unfavorable these opinions may be. Gab has been one popular haven for those fleeing traditional media platforms as it prides itself on being the home of free speech online. But their mission has been threatened by PayPal and Stripe cutting off its accounts and joint dropping the site from its service. Yes, all these entities are allowed to freely associate or disassociate with whoever they please. Nevertheless, as the ability to freely express ourselves is quickly becoming limited at almost every turn, the shunning of Gab is a chilling sign of where we are headed as society. Uh, True, the gunman's profile on the site was riddled with hateful rhetoric, but his words were his own and no one else's. Punishing Gab would be akin to punishing a homeowner for a violent crime that occurred just outside his home, even if he played no role in the altercation. Gab's response. It should also be noted that as soon as Gab realized the gunman had a profile on his site, it probably turned over all relevant information to the FBI. Gab was merely protecting his right to voice his opinion, and they were not protecting him from the consequences of his actions. Uh, Gab commented on the whole debacle, saying, We refuse to be defined by the media's narrative about Gab and our community. Gab's mission is very simple, to defend free expression and individual liberty online for all people. Social media often brings out the best and the worst of humanity. And if we are being honest with ourselves, by exiling the worst of humanity and banishing it to the remote corners of the internet, we do more harm than good. First, isolating hateful people only allows their hate to fester and fringe groups in fringe groups where they stay isolated from new thoughts that could potentially positively alter their worldviews. Additionally, by keeping these people hidden, we miss our vital feedback that tells us we may not want to associate these people. Heinous acts of violence shake us to our core and leave us feeling vulnerable and confused. But this vulnerability should not cloud our reason. And by holding social media platforms accountable for someone else's crime, we remove the personal responsibility that should fall on those who actually committed the murders. Uh, End of the article. And I already interjected my commentary into the middle, middle of the article and I'm just about pressed for time here as uh wrapping up the show. So we'll just end it there. Um, find your place, you know, if it not gab, then, you know, mines or whatever, whatever, whatever pops up. Right. Because what I, what I do notice so far is that for our, everything that Facebook shuts down, everyone that Twitter bans, um, they find someplace else to go. Um, and you know, like, like outlaws on the run. Um, we, we will follow them where wherever they go just to, just to keep an eye on it. Just to know because, again, I'm a big fan of freedom and free speech and I don't have to agree with what they say but they damn sure have the right to say it um, and express it however they want and I'm not a big fan of anyone that tries to stifle that. I want to hear it. I want to hear what they have to say and I'll debate them if we have to uh, but they should be allowed to say it and you should be allowed to be offended by it. Um, and wherever they turn up, you know, so will we. Uh, uh, what you know, we got we got our profile on minds now. I don't know what we're gonna do about Gab, um, not that we're associated with him, but damn, you know where wherever the outlaws be is where I want to be too. Uh, end of end of the show. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com, Facebook.com/slash uh, anarchist experience. Yep, still there, still posting uh, show prep in the groups facebook.com slash groups slash anarchist experience uh minds why not right minds.com slash the anarchist experience. twitter.com slash the anarchist exp wow there's a lot for me to say now with all these new additions and if you want to contribute to the show financially because why the hell not uh, do it through patreon patreon.com slash the anarchist experience thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week peace